Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Um, we are indeed recording remotely. We are, week. yes. At least Dennis is. Dennis is more remote than usual. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here nestled safely into the, uh, the basement of Project Quantum Leap. Um, and we're here tonight, today, whenever you happen to be listening, mm-hmm. to talk about Unchained. Unchained, yeah. It's been a while since we talked about an episode proper. It's been a few weeks. It has, yeah. Um, last one would have been Single Drop of Rain, which is like a month ago. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before we do that, we were talking about before we hit record, uh, we've been uh, engaging more on social media, asking people just about Quantum Leap in general uh, because of the 30th anniversary um, uh, last week. And so I threw out the question this week, what was the first episode of Quantum Leap you saw? Uh, so just reading off some responses here. A lot of people said that they watched it from the first one. Uh, either awesome. either when it were originally aired on NBC or through reruns in some way, USA or, or BBC or otherwise. Uh, reading off some other ones here. Um, uh, there is one. I can't, rem- I can't read it right now. But I was surprised to, say, uh, to read that the person had actually discovered Scott Bakula through Enterprise. Yeah. And then jumped. Uh, I think it was Cheryl Minns who said that. And then she jumped back and then picked up the rest of the Scott Bakula canon, and that's how she picked up uh, Quantum Leap. Uh, but a lot of people, first episode, Color of Truth is a really popular one. Uh, Adam Walton said Another Mother. Uh, someone else said Pull Hall Blues. That was my first episode. Uh, on re- didn't, um, Go ahead. Didn't Larry uh, uh, say that Good Morning Peoria yes. had been his first? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, saw it in not, some, a bad, not a bad first episode to come in on. Yeah, honestly. saw it at Disney World. Uh, that was like <laughs> because there were, uh, there were two summers where NBC did a week where they showed an episode of Quantum Leap every night during the week, trying to get interest generated because it always struggled in the ratings. Right. But yeah. Um, so yeah, quality television programs struggling in the ratings. I don't. Oh. It. Oh yes, yeah. And speaking of Scott Bakula Enterprise, I uh, now since I'm all caught up on Discovery and the Orville, I'm also my eternal struggle to get into Enterprise. I'll tell you what. The interesting thing to me about Enterprise, I know we've talked about this a little bit before. I'll make this a quick digression. Is that I feel like the good episodes of Enterprise I would put up against just about any other iteration of Trek. Mm-hmm. But man, when it was bad. It was worse than Voyager bad. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it, um, yeah. Um, yeah. It was funny because yeah. I put out uh, one last yeah uh, tangent here. As I threw out on Twitter this morning on my personal account, I was like, what's a TV series that you eventually lost patience for and you quit watching, but then you came back and you watched the finale? Uh, mm. and, and one person responded, Voyager and Enterprise. Okay, and that's true. I've seen the last episode of Enterprise, as bad as it is. Um, yeah. When I was, I watched Voyager for the first time coming up on three years ago, or a little over two years ago. And eventually, mm-hmm. when it got to the last two seasons, I just I went online and I googled like what are like the essential episodes in the last yep. two seasons you have to see, and I watched the essential episodes, and then I jumped to the finale just because after a while, like I just yeah. Yeah. I- I completely agree with you, and it's too bad because I feel like, um, you know, of a lot of the the premises out there. I mean, one of the things that was so cool about Deep Space Nine is that you know they were stationary for a good portion of the series, so they had to invent kind of new ways to tell stories and focus on the characters more. And I think that that really strengthened that show, and still to this day puts it above you know, a lot of the other treks, in my opinion. But Voyager has this awesome premise. You know, they're stuck out in the middle of nowhere; they got no way back. And it didn't matter because they hit the great Star Trek reset button at the end of every episode, mm-hmm. and so nothing really mattered. Yeah, no, you know, it's like one episode they could be running low on fuel. The next episode didn't matter. They they'd gone fifty light years. You know, they so it's like, like yeah. 
all right, well, fine. Nothing, nothing really matters, and and why should I care? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I dug, I dug the finale. It was all right. Sure. But anyway, all right. Anyway, that, uh, let's in, dive into this week's episode, Unchained or Unchained Melody. Oh, we'll, God, why? we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, November second, nineteen fifty-six. You got the book this week. Uh, I'm recording at my massage office. Uh, I'm a massage therapist. That sounds weird. I'm recording at my massage office, and I forgot Matt's book. I need to get the electronic version, which, by the way, an electronic version of Beyond the Mirror Image by Matt Dale is now available. And That's right. We'll, we'll put a thing in the in the show notes or on Facebook this week and, and remind people. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to have the electronic version myself, um, mainly because... It'll keep I, you from straining your wrist. Well, not only that, but honestly, the, the hardcover, it feels like... Something about it just feels kind of special, I, you know, not to not to sound silly or whatever. So I would love to be able to just put this on a bookshelf and let it kind of just sit there and, and you know, and look good uh, uh, and not get all dog-eared um, or torn up or anything, which I'm sure if you looked at uh, my, my old Quantum Leap encyclopedia from back in the day, the A to Z, there are some pages about ready to fall oh, out of that. Oh, God, thing. yeah, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Unchained. Um, it was directed by Michael Watkins. This is his fourth of six episodes, including Last Dance, Hurricane, and the upcoming Killing Time. Uh, written by Paris Qualls. Uh, this is one of two episodes. Um, it was written um, by Paris. The next episode would be Ghost Ship. Um, also uh, interesting to note, I thought, is that um, uh, Paris adapted the um, uh, uh, script, uh, the, the, the stage play, um, Raisin in the Sun. Mm. Um, he, he adapted the version that uh, starred Huff Daddy. Uh, so take that for whatever you want. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, I haven't seen that version. For all I know, it could be very, very good. It's just it, 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 I, I can't get over the fact that you know P Diddy's in it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the episode aired um, on. No- oh, one other thing to mention about Paris Qualls. He also wrote two episodes of China Beach, which is a show we talk about. Ah, frequently. okay. That um, that is your forthcoming and, podcast on the Fade Wide Wheel. Yeah. Network. Right. Yeah. Uh, air date was November 27th, 1991. Our leap date is November 2nd, 1956. So this is a fairly early leap. Uh, our leapy is Chance Cole. We're in Tulaga County. Um, it's interesting because I think somewhere in the episode they say Alabama. At least that's what's listed on a lot of the websites. But that can't be possible because it doesn't share a border with Louisiana. So it's either got to be Mississippi or Texas. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, whatever. It's, a, it's in the deep south. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a southern city. Yeah, um, if it's in if it's in the latter two seasons of Quantum Leap, and you guess Deep South, there's a fifty percent <laughs> chance you're going to be right. Man, that's interesting. Right? <laughs> yeah, I had, I'd never thought of that before. Yeah. Um, so, because Dennis doesn't have the book, I get a special honor. You get week. the treat. I get to talk even more than I normally mm-hmm. do, uh, and read the TV guide description, which is. Sam is a fugitive on a chain gang along with a prisoner, Basil Wallace, who's innocent of the robbery for which he's doing time. That may be the most straightforward TV guide description we've ever had. I didn't even get a good pun. The, like, yeah, what the hell? That's a straight one. So while we're here, so I, this is something I also posted online this afternoon. I don't know if you've been online, if you had a chance to see this. Uh, right now, I am currently rewatching Quantum Leap through Amazon Prime through... Uh, IMDb free dive channel. Yeah. Um, it comes with commercials, but hey, that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, so this is the guide description from um, from online, from Amazon Prime. Sam, Scott Bakula, becomes a member of a 1956 chain gang where he is shackled to an innocent American Indian, oh, no. Basil Wallace, who is determined to escape. And by the way, this episode is called Unchained Melody, not simply Unchained. So I posted on Facebook, I said, what's wrong with this episode description? And I thought there were two answers. And there's one and a half answers. Right. Unchained, yes. Unchained Melody. That's the wrong one. But I had forgotten until I rewatched this episode, it's a detailed blink and you miss it. You might miss it in the first episode. But um, uh, Jasper does say in the first lines that he, he is part of... Native American. Yeah, his mother was Muscogee. Yeah, and, um, so that's it, it, not entirely wrong. 
Well, and it's interesting because it does have, a, a, I think, a, a larger part to play in his character overall because yeah. you know, his grandmother raised him on the reservation, and she's the one that tells him that he belongs in wide open spaces, and of course he's got the uh, horrible claustrophobia and, and such. So um, it's it's yeah, it, it is it is a very small detail, a little bit of, a little bit of subtlety and nuance in there, I guess, but uh, it's it, it does play a part just into his overall character, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that I get to do this week, since Dennis doesn't have the book handy, is uh, the also known as. Uh, obviously, uh, we just. I know. I'm sorry. I will Dennis. never forget the book again. Uh, <laughs> um, so obviously, we just touched on Unchained Melody, which apparently, according to Matt's book, um, it was first called that in the Quantum Leap book, mm, um, okay. which was a, like a larger, like yeah. sort of like what, you know, eight by twelve ish. Uh, you know, large format magazine kind of type book. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they did two versions of it. Um, one, I believe, only went up to like the end of the third season or something like that, and then the other one did the whole show. Um, but uh, you might be able to find a copy of it in half price books. I've got a copy. I honestly can't remember if it's the first one or the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's some cool stuff in there. Most notably, I think some of the behind the scenes, like sketches and drawings. Um, production designs but anyway the um the book apparently was one of the first ones to to title it unchained melody which is which is weird who who knows why um the let's see germany uh der zeitkampf the duel um yeah i'm not going to try and say the french one but uh life hangs by a chain is what it was called in france that's artsy and here we go italy might win Free with an exclamation point at the end. I love it. Yeah. So there you have it. There are our uh, alternate titles, also known as. Um, so let's just jump right in. Uh, I think it's worth noting, first of all, that Dennis and I probably have differing views uh, as to the quality of this particular episode. Um, we'll see. We'll see as as we proceed how that holds up. Sure. Um, so we start off. And, you know, the leap in really sets things up wonderfully uh, with the, the chain gang escape um, with, with Jasper and, and Sam as, as Cole leaping off the, the truck um, to try and make their break for freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come back after the uh, credits have rolled, yeah. they are uh, they're on the run. Yeah. And, and Sam clearly is, is thrown for a bigger loop. Than, uh, I think the normal yeah. like the physical toll that this oh, sure. is taking yeah. on him. It, it is worth noting kind of the the punchline of the intro as soon as they jump off the truck. Jasper is asking him which right. way to go, and that's the twist: is that Sam is supposed to know what they're doing now that they are in this high stakes do or die situation. Yeah, and Jasper thinks that he's lied to him because, you know, he told him that he'd grown up around there, that sort of thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, which we never really figure out if, if any of that's true or not. We, we um, don't get any of Chance Cole's story whatsoever. Yeah. We haven't well, seen I, a Cole this sketchy since maybe Baby. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, indeed. That's nice. That was a deep dive. Oh, thank you, yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, which is kind of interesting. We we learn a little bit about what got him uh, on the chain gang, uh, and we know that they have kept him longer than he was supposed to be there. But other than that, that's really all that we ever learn about him. Um, we get one nice, nice one nice, huh? uh, nice mirror image shot uh, of, of of him at one point. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. It's 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 a very it's interesting because it's a very Sam heavy episode in so much as we he he doesn't pretend to be this other guy at all. I mean, there's, there's, he, he has no context of how he's supposed to, sure. to be. I hadn't really thought, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but there's no, yeah. <laughs> and, but even with, like, Jasper, like, there's no, like, there's really no pretending, like, once they get taken back, at that point, he's pretty much just saying, you know, he, he doesn't tell the guy that he's from the future, but he tells him about Al, pretty much. He lets him know, you know what I mean? Um, sure. So it's it's interesting because it feels almost like we're watching Sam throughout the course of this episode, not Sam trying to be someone else or trying to fit in or try to play a part. Yeah, that is a great point. And I will say, um, so we kind of talked before we started recording, like you have a much higher opinion of this episode than I do. 
I do. What I what I like about this episode is in the first fifteen minutes. I could totally see that. Yes. It's it's them being on the run. It's Sam trying to figure out the story. Uh, Al has a lot of great one-liners in this episode, yeah. in yeah. particular uh, the, the the first half of the episode. And so I, I liked uh, just the banter of when Al shows up for the first time and they have the cracks back and forth about oh it looks like you know you're you're dressed up for hard times and Sam makes a joke like this is the latest in prison wear. Uh, blah blah blah, and as he's leaving, the first time Al says, "If I wasn't a hologram, I could swear I could smell skunk." Um, yeah, the, uh, Al's outfit—the the red jacket and the red pants—is like when I think of Al's outfits on the show, like that is like the that is, that is like the perfect outfit. One of the top, yeah, one, no, I, I totally one of the top that. ones. If I were to reach out to John Pierre and say, "Hey, do you still have this outfit available?" That would be one I would reach out. I would argue through the whole episode. Like, he, he you know, even that, that orange jacket that mm-hmm. he wears is very out. And then at the end, where he's got, like, the, the purple jacket and shirt and everything. Like, I, I, I think that this, you know, everything. But I, I agree with you. The red outfit in particular stands out. But even, even through the course of the whole episode, all three uh, costumes that he has uh, work really well for him. Definitely um, on. One of the things that I'll, I'll just piggyback onto what you're saying, because I agree with everything that you just said. Um, the... Those first fifteen minutes, certainly, they 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 move in a different way than the rest of the episode does. Uh, no pun intended, because obviously they're on the run. Um, there is a little bit more levity injected into the script um, through through those first you know fifteen minutes or so, um, because once they come back, and once you know Jasper gets thrown in the hole again, things get pretty heavy and pretty dark and stay that way for most of the rest of the episode there's not there's the one there's the one kind of uh, I, I want to call it the of mice and men moment where you know then when they're in the uh, in the cabin and they're they're talking about how they're going to get a place of their own oh, and, yeah, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. and then he's like can we have rabbits and all that sort of stuff uh, just because there's this you know there's this moment where Jasper's telling Sam you know what he what he wants what he expects where he's going to go Afterwards, um, and 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 that injects some hope and and a little bit more brightness into the episode. But other than that, the yeah the 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 last two thirds of this episode are pretty heavy and pretty dark. Yeah. Um. And and desperate. That's that's the word that I would use to describe the bulk of this episode is desperate. Mm-hmm. Um. There's a desperation about the actions that all of these characters take. Um. Maybe with the exception of Sam, but even then, to a degree, I mean, Sam, I think it's pretty damn desperate. Sure, yeah. Um, And it's interesting because there's a lot of of action without thought, I feel like, in this episode. Uh, You know, characters just acting on their impulses as opposed to, you know, taking a step back and thinking, like, maybe I shouldn't hit the guy with the gun. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a yeah. There's a lot of that. And, and the one thing I'd say, uh, jumping back to Al's outfits, this is one thing that does strike me weirdest about the outfits is that Al leaves at the beginning of the episode. He's wearing the red outfit. Mm-hmm. He comes back a few minutes later, and he's in a completely different outfit. And they typically do a pretty good job of keeping the outfits consistent. Like if he's gone for a few minutes, he comes back in the same outfit. Yeah. If he's gone for a day. He comes back in a different outfit, so it is, it did jump out at me that it's just a few minutes later, and Al has switched outfits. They're great outfits. Yeah, that just jumped out at me. It, yeah, no, it does make you wonder. No, that's interesting. Uh, you know, one other thing about Al that I wanted to throw out there: uh, he calls Ziggy him at one point in this episode, mm. which is interesting because we're at a point in 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 the canon of Quantum Leap, if you will, where that very rarely happens. Because at this point we've seen for a fact that Ziggy is a she, mm-hmm. um, but I noticed it because I, again, uh, a peek behind the curtain here at Project Quantum Leap. Dennis and I had to rewatch the episode mostly because when we initially watched it like two weeks ago uh, to to record, we we had to postpone. So we wanted to be a little fresher. Um, so upon rewatch, I noticed that that uh, at one point Al calls Ziggy a him. Ah, uh, um, yeah. Which is interesting. Another thing that this episode does, I know we're kind of all over the place, but I think it's it's fine for this particular episode, uh, is that um, 
we get another great example, well, not so great for one person involved, of Sam's effect on the the time stream, if you will, Mm -hmm. because if he had never pointed the finger at the actual robber, um, that robber would have committed four more robberies and not been shot and killed. Sure. But because of Sam's actions through the course of this episode, um, he, you know, he, he gets, he gets murdered, Mm -hmm. uh, and those other four robberies don't happen, which is something that Al even tells Sam, you know, there were supposed to be four more robberies and they don't, you know, they don't shine too much of a light on it and say like, this is because of what you did or whatever. Um, but I do find it interesting, you you know, that, um, that because boss Cooley, uh, kills, kills Jake, Mm -hmm. um, that we yeah yeah that that those that, again those robberies don't happen yeah um, gotcha. and so we're seeing Sam's effect on things right then and there yeah uh, which which the reason why I bring that up is because there's always the notion of are the things that Sam does affecting Project Quantum Leap in any way and is one of those things that's being affected the gender if you will of Ziggy mm. That's, that's all crazy. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, oh, I, we love fan wank here. Baseball <laughs> well. So before I, I have, uh, I have some thoughts about everything you just said about like the time stream and how time works in this episode. Should we do the IMDb bits? Let's do quick? it, man. Let's do it. Who um, you got? Uh, let's start off with Basil Wallace, please. Uh, Jasper Boone, um, uh, still alive. Uh, first and foremost. <laughs> Yes, um, indeed. Other things, uh, he gets uh, one at least one of our Star Trek shout-outs of the episode. That's he was right. Klingon Guard 1 in uh, a 1990 episode of Star Trek. Which one? Reunion. Reunion. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And then um, my, inter- he, my internet's being a little bit slow here, so if I'm behind the thing. No worries. I, I, I took some notes, believe it or not. Oh, wow. uh, one of the things that I had to point out, um, because during my misspent youth... Uh, almost embarrassed to admit this today, but, you know, what the hell. When I was a kid, I loved, like, you know, action-slash-martial arts movies, um, and Steven Seagal was pretty big back in the day. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, kids, but there was a time when Steven Seagal was, was kind of cool. Uh, hard to imagine now. But um, <laughs> there was a movie that he did called Marked for Death, and Basil Wallace, actually, it was one of his first big roles, played the villain in Marked for Death, uh, a role called Screwface. Um, the interesting thing about that is that it's so completely different from Jasper Boone. He's this dreadlocked, you know, Rastafarian, sword-wielding, drug-wielding drug dealer um, who, you know, ends up getting his head cut off in the, in the climax of the film, but spoilers, sorry. Um, but it just fascinated me because I, I never in a million years would have put that together if it wasn't for IMDb. And when I read it, I kind of did a double take. I was like, that can't be right. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, so, so shout out for Marked for Death. Um, he also did an episode of China Beach uh, and West Wing um, and, uh, you know, is, is, is working... Um, let's see, most recently in NCIS Los Angeles. Mm, okay. That was in 2012. Um, so, yeah, not quite sure what he's up to now, um, but clearly has a, a, a quite a few um, cool credits under his belt, Sure, I think. yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so that would be Basil Wallace, yeah. who plays a Jasper. For sure. Uh, J.C. Quinn gets our first uh, No Longer With Us shout-out of the episode. Uh, passed, passed away at the age of 63 in 2004. J.C. Quinn, he plays Boss Cooley. Yes, indeed. Uh, he was in a, a film of, uh, that, that I'm a fan of called Barfly with Mickey Rourke. Where he play, Mickey Rourke plays sort of a, uh, a heightened, fictionalized version of Charles Bukowski, um, and J.C. Quinn played a character called Jim uh, in that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a really long list of credits. You know, packed a hell of a lot in. It feels like um, in in that un- unfortunately shortened career, um, we've got some you know some some recurring roles on television series, um, some guest spots on stuff like Cheers. Um, Oh, that's where I recognized him. He was in Days of Thunder. Man, I tell you what, <laughs> I misspent you. Uh, he also uh, he was also in The Abyss, Turner and Hooch. 
Um, he had a, a lengthy uh, uh, role as Red Griswold in First and Ten, the championship, uh, which First and Ten, if, if folks don't know, uh, was a uh, HBO original series from back in the day, one of the first HBO original series, mm. if I remember correctly, um, about a uh, fictional professional football team uh, and its players, uh, known for some of its crazy antics. It was definitely in that sitcom uh, vein, for sure. But uh, yeah, that, that would be uh, J.C. Quinn, who plays Boss Cooley. He's a right son of a bitch in this episode. He is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then we got uh, Claude Earl Jones, uh, who plays Captain Elias. Claude is still with us. Uh, looks like his last acting credit on IMDb in 1997. In this episode, he plays the captain. He plays the poor man, Struther Martin. Yes, indeed. Who plays the captain in Cool Hand Luke, which uh, there, are, there are some homages, some hat tips to Cool Hand Luke in this episode. And it, it, in particular, I, I really feel like uh, John Pierre, like he either got the note or he took the inspiration, like he... he the captain is dressed like the captain in Cool Hand yeah. Luke. Uh, the uh, Claude plays the captain, like I said, almost like uh, a coy advance to Struther Martin's Bowen Luke. <laughs> that's a deep one right there, dude. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I will never pass up the chance to do a to do a. a, a uh, I can't remember. Bo, Bo and Luke and Coin Vance. I will Duke's never pass up a chance to do a Coin Vance reference, but yeah. Um, well, actually, you know, it's really funny that you, oh man, this is too fucking good. I, I couldn't make this up if I tried. But in addition to all of the other guest starring roles that he had on many TV shows, he guest starred as Sheriff Droopy Cathcart in the Dukes of Hazard in an episode titled Cool Hands, Luke and DeBoe. That just. We, Thank you for joining Fates Wide Will this week. We're just, just going to end the episode right now because you can't. I couldn't make this up <laughs> if I tried because get this. Bo and Luke are arrested in Osage County on false traffic charges and placed on the county's chain gang. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Oh, man. That is That's awesome. That's just priceless. The things you discover. I, I, and that's yeah, how I, we I'm got. like Dennis. Thank you for joining us this week on Fates Wide. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, we're not going to top that moment. That's so. it right there. Uh, so there, yeah, there we go. Uh, and then everybody else, uh, Don Sparks who plays Jake Wiles. I, f- I figure he should, he should get a mention. Um, and yeah, cause he played. Yeah. He, and he's, you know, I think of, of obviously Scott Bakula side of the cast. He's the one that seems to be working the most and, and, and most recently and consistently. Um, he was in a few episodes of uh, Mr. Robot, uh, The Good Wife, um, you know, just a, a lot of stuff more recently, uh, a handful of episodes of Law and Order, uh, film, television, etc., um, with a career that goes back to 1974. Oh, wow. Um, so he's been been around uh, quite a while and done a lot of, uh, like I said, guest spots for the most part. doesn't look like there's any, like, recurring roles or right series regulars or anything like that. Oh, I take that back, actually. On L.A. Law, uh, he played uh, a role called um, Russell Spitzer um, for eight episodes. So um, so there was a, kind of a, a recurring thing there. But um, I got you there. Yeah. And, and his character, I, uh, you know, because this episode obviously had tips to Cool Hand Luke and the Defiant Ones. Um, it's been years since I've seen In the Heat of the Night. Mm-hmm. The like like the original like Sidney Poitier Rod Steiger I think uh, pronounced yep. name right yeah and the person who ends up being uh, the murderer in that movie kind of looks like Jake in this episode nice. I don't know if that was intentional or not but to me like Jake is like a, a hat tip to In the Heat of the Night I love it. Yeah, and then uh, then yeah, not many not many other characters in this episode. Some background characters: uh, Mark Kemble plays the mirror image, uh, Chance uh, Cole. I'll give a quick shout out actually to Robert V. Barron, uh, who plays the old convict as he's called, mm-hmm. uh, because he does get uh, a few speaking lines and kind of like featured you know shots, if you will. Um, he played Abraham Lincoln in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. That that's his IMDb photo. That's <laughs> that is his IMDb photo. Or one of yeah. them, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, you know, and it's interesting the you know drawing the parallels between uh, films like Cool Hand Luke and and the Defiant Ones, which are obviously uh, homaged within the course of this episode, um, from the setup being you know 
ripped from the Defiant ones in, in a lot of ways, and then a lot of the stuff that happens back at the um, the actual camp, um, you know, being straight out of Cool Hand Luke, and, and and certainly again not in any sort of like plagiaristic way, um, but but just kind of playing in that same sandbox. And then of course you mentioned in Heat of the Night. One of the things that all three of these films have in common, as well as this episode, is sweat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean those like those are some sweat drenched movies. This is a sweat drenched episode. Just worth pointing out that it was hot in the South back then. It was hot all mm-hmm. the time. It was just hot. Yeah, people were just sweating. That is yeah, and it's uh, it's I've never seen the Defiant ones, but yes, uh, Cool Hand Luke Sweat is almost its own character. Yeah, in the heat of the night. Now think about it, yeah, one of the first shots of in the heat of the night is is like in this diner with uh, Jake's parallel character, just like you, you just see a fan going back and forth and someone soaking under the cool air of that fan. Yeah. It's hot. It's hot. Hot. But that being so, said, uh, should, should we dive back into the episode? And Yeah, let's, uh, let's go right ahead here. Um, you know, I'm very interested uh, because in... And we don't really do a whole lot of planning, surprise, surprise, on these. I've been watching the episodes and taking some notes separately. Uh, So I'm very interested to hear what you have to say, um, you know, as far as what you didn't like about the episode. Because, again, yeah, I I mean, I I do... I do like it. I I think it's... uh, yeah. So, 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 so here's what. But it, so after they get recaptured and they get taken back uh, to the to the camp, the prison, whatever you call it, and uh, Jasper gets thrown in the hole, and then we cut to um, later. I can't remember. It was like at night or the next morning. But but Sam is pushing the barrels back and forth, uh, mm-hmm. which is the parallel of Cool Hand Luke digging the ditch and filling the dirt, digging the ditch and filling the dirt. Uh, yep. It's Sam's voiceover where he talks about hearing. Uh, Jasper howl all night because of his claustrophobia, being stuck in the hole. And, and Sam flat out acknowledges there is nothing that Sam can do for him. It all depends on Al doing stuff in the future to figure out when the next robbery is going to happen so they can get a tip, so they can get the real robber arrested instead of Jasper. Which, by the way, yeah. if you're listening to this episode, Cole, and haven't rewatched the episode, the whole point is that Jasper is in prison for these chain of robberies that have happened, and it turns out, in reality, it is Jake who is doing these robberies in blackface, and the robberies are continuing to go on. So the crux of the episode is Al being able to figure out when the next robbery is going to happen so they can have insider knowledge to prove that Jasper is not the robber. And so what bugs me about the episode is that Sam can't really do anything. It's all Al back in the future working to figure this out. Sam has no agency. The episode is happening to Sam. And in fact, he makes things worse by telling Jasper what's going on. Because like you pointed out before... Jasper hears Sam talking to Al, Sam, t- you know, Al's his guardian angel. But then also he, Sam tells Jasper the plan of figuring out what's going on. And like Sam causes half the problems in this episode by bringing Jasper into it and Jasper losing his temper and going off on Jake and other people. Right, right. Which that, I mean, that when he does that, man, when he, when he punches through the glass and then the car door and then just starts slamming Jake's head into the, into the steering wheel and. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I, I can get that. It's strange because normally that sort of thing would bother me, but I think because of the circumstances of the episode, it doesn't bother me because there's there's a there's there's a certain tension, and you feel for Jasper in particular. So I think that there's a certain amount of um, empathy um, that, the, that the episode provokes not only in Sam but by way of Sam in the audience at least for me personally uh, that I could really get behind so I I don't disagree really with anything you just said I just don't know that I would put that as a strike against the episode I just mean just otherwise like the episode is so dark other words like you like you get some you get some good action in the first half or in the first quarter you get some good quips between sam and al but like like you pointed out earlier like the episode gets so dark after that it's just kind of difficult to watch with not a whole lot 
uplifting to it. Yeah, I mean, again, I would argue that, that you've got the scene of, of, of Jazz talking about what he wants to do after they escape, and then you've got the actual escape scene, which I think is, is very well done. And I, and I really, and the thing that, that, the thing that gets accomplished through the course of this episode that we don't get to see often, which is kind of nice, is, is you know, Jasper's thanking Al. Um, I do like that, Sam, yes. Which is, yeah, yeah which, is, which, is, which is really kind of cool. Um, interesting. Yeah, because again, I don't disagree with anything you've said. Mm-hmm. I just, it just, I still like the episode. As a, for and sure. not in spite of it, but I, but maybe in some ways even because of, of, of those elements. I mean, because I, it feels, it feels very different. Yeah, I feel like if we were to see this episode made today, like we would, like if they, if they just had some shots of like Al, like back in the future, like working, working with mm. the tech, you know, who specifically works with Ziggy to dig this information up, you know, like all the, the procedurals now, like they have like the, the high tech person who's always in the computer room right. and, and, you know, and making quips and whatever, you know, back and forth with the main characters, you know, they, they, they have that character on, on NCIS New Orleans right. uh, and, right. and the other variations of NCIS. Like I would just, like if we were just back, like if we were just like showing that banter between Al and the tech working on Ziggy, like seeing that stuff, but it, it's all like, we hear second hand of what Al is doing back in the future to figure all this stuff out. Yeah. And that's what bugs me about it. And then there's also, we talked about like how Sam throwing out this knowledge and messes with the time stream and like we, four robberies get undone. Right. And it kind of, and, and a person dies. Yeah. I mean, it kind of changes, you know, deep fan wank. And we, we talked about the, the, the rules of time travel kind of change and go, wobbly timey whammy with every episode but like sure. to jump back to uh the vietnam portion of a leap back mm-hmm. sam sleeps with maggie to get her on the mission so that she can take photos on the mission and do a story so that in the future al can pull that story to give that information to sam mm-hmm. in this episode sam starts off talk or al talks off starts off talking about all these robberies that happened. But by the nature of Sam blabbing it in the past, he undoes that. Therefore, what robberies does Al have to discover? Well, see, now it's interesting that you say that because the, the you know, of course, the, the theory is and, and has been is that there's a certain, you know, outside of time nature to Project Quantum Leap. So that even though the effect that Sam is going to have, because it's the same, it's because what you just said about, about the leap back mm-hmm. does not negate what happens in this episode. And the reason being is because if we know that Sam is going to get Maggie on the, the, the mission so that she can write the story so that they can use the story in order to, in order to find the location, Okay. If that happened, there would be no need for Sam to do it, in which case it might not happen because Sam would not be pushed into doing it. So the same is true in this episode where because Sam does something which changes something so that those robberies never happen, that Al can never report on him, well, it still kind of has to exist for Project Quantum Leap and for Sam and Al because if he never said anything about the four robberies, nothing would happen to stop the four robberies from existing. So the paradoxical nature of both of those elements is actually exactly the same. It's just done in a different way. Fair enough. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Um, but, but I do get what you're saying, because it is, it, it is interesting that, and I think that this is just because of the way that television was produced at the time, that not necessarily as much attention may have been paid to that particular element of this episode. Um, as it was, say, in Elite Back or in other episodes where that has been a function or a part of the episode. Here, it's it's very throwaway. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that it was done in a nuanced manner or whatnot, whatever. That's fine. I appreciated it. I enjoyed it. It didn't bother me. But I think that today, if Quantum Leap was being made today or being rebooted, there would definitely be some some rules, I think, and those rules would probably be touched on. And when those rules were broken, they would be done broken for a reason and whatnot. Sure. Um, so so I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Got it. And now I will tell you what I do like about the second part of the episode is I like the scene between Jake and Cooley. Like when it's revealed that 
Jake yeah. is the one doing the robberies that he's doing it in blackface and that him and Cooley are in cahoots with one another. What I like about that scene is that at this point in the series, you rarely get scenes where you show the characters outside of Sam and Al. Mm-hmm. Where at the first part of the series, you saw that all the time. Um, and I like... It, it, to me, when you have moments like this, it fits more of the anthology nature of the series Absolutely. that it's set out to do, where you use Sam and Al as like a conduit to introduce these other characters. So yeah. I like that. And I also liked that the scene ends ambiguously. Yep. And you don't realize until later what happened to Jake. Yes. I, ent- I, I like uh, that. I completely agree. It's interesting, that you, yeah, that you bring that up as far as seeing, you know, the characters kind of existing outside of Sam and Al. Um, immediately, I go to Thou Shalt Not, which is, which is honestly, in a lot of ways, become one of my favorite episodes of the series. Oddly enough, um, you know, it's not an incredibly remarkable episode in many ways, but um, it, it, there's just something about it, you know, whether it's the cinematography, the direction, the script, the you know, the acting. Um, and, and one of those things that's worth noting is that we do get quite a few scenes of the characters existing independently of Sam and Al um, within the context of that episode, which is which is something worth appreciating. There are certainly some some moments that are you know like French scenes, if you will, where they start out with you know characters and then Sam comes in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, you've got those moments where it is just between. Uh, other characters, which I think is, is is very cool, and so yeah, that that I, I give that uh, high marks as well because it's a simple scene. It's not it's not even necessarily like um, overly poignant or inventive mm-hmm. or you know anything like that. It's 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 a, it's basically a stock scene, if you will, mm-hmm. that you would see in any you know murder of the week mystery show or whatnot. But yeah, it, it, it's notable just because of the context of. Yeah. And speaking of one thing I did note, and this is not a mark for or against, but something that I did note is that the music in this episode, it it did kind of remind me of like the the TV movie murder of the week TV movies. Mm. Like even though we take place in the 50s, there was something about the music that felt a little bit more uh, late 80s TV movie of the week. So during the action sequences. A few things that I want to throw out there, actually, that don't necessarily have anything to do with what you just said specifically, but uh, one thing, kudos to the production team for getting a quarter that was in, minted in the 1950s, because when they flipped the quarter uh, towards the beginning of the episode to decide mm-hmm. who's going to get thrown in the pit, whether it's Sam or, or Jazz, uh, they do a close-up of the quarter to show that it's heads before sure. Boss Cooley says it's tails, and it says, like, 1956 you know, or something like that on the on the quarter, which I was like, ah, kudos, look at you. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is worth noting because the episode takes place in the 50s and because Jazz is, um, you know, of, of mixed heritage, as, as he puts it, um, both uh, American Indian and African American, um, the episode written by a person of color, um, that the strain of racism, which I feel like could be easily played up uh, because of the time and location, is not, and yet it's definitely there. And so kudos to the episode for, I think, portraying it in a, in a very nuanced and, and realistic manner as opposed to being so in your face with it. Like, um, uh, almost every other think, episode of, of yeah, well, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's something like it never occurred to me until after the second viewing and, and just like about an hour before recording, like I was thinking about, it, I was like, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they uh, like. I mean, we're going to have an episode coming up in the fifth season where the episode does not involve race at all, but they still take an opportunity to use a racial slur against the characters, yeah. like as a throwaway line. Um, so, yeah, I, I really do appreciate that that they don't do that. Yeah, in this episode. Um. Yeah. You know, it's it is it's fascinating. I'm, I'm I'm really glad to have the conversation about it because again, I, you're not really saying anything that I disagree with. Um, but for whatever reason, um, you know, some of the things that, that you're saying that you might not have liked about the episode are things that either didn't bother me or that I actually did like about the episode. Um, and I think the tone of the episode as, as it gets, you know, later on and, and things do start to get very dark um, is very fitting for the, you know, that strain of desperation that runs throughout the course of the entire episode. Um, 
you know, this wrongfully accused man is, 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 is really at the end of his rope, um, has been mistreated and abused and, and a victim uh, in multiple ways. And I, I think that it makes the payoff of their final escape mean even more. Um, one thing, and I can't remember exactly where I read it, I don't know if it was on Al's Place or if it was the MacGyver Project, um, but in, in their reviews of the episode, or in the message boards, rather, comments, it was not the actual website uh, or the web host saying this, but um, a comment was made about not buying the cockfight at the end between the two of them, mm-hmm. and I completely disagreed with the comment because their comment was basically like, you know, Jazz and Chance are supposed to be friends, and, you know, why would they fight each other? Why would Jazz, you know, say that he wants... And, and it's just sort of like... Well, A, I don't think that that's really been shown throughout the course of this episode that they're friends. Mm. I think that a lot of it has been out of necessity. I think that we've got plenty of evidence of Jazz, you know, like when he when he grabs Sam through the bars and, is, you know, is choking him. When, mm-hmm. you know, some of the words exchanged between the two of them, like this relationship is fairly tenuous at best. It's not, you know, I think that, I think that Jazz starts to sense a little bit of hope because of Al. Um, and, and, and I, I, it's that interesting thing, uh, and the thing that makes that character. And, and again, I think Basil Wallace does a wonderful job with it and it's written very well of giving us a character who's fairly, um, well-formed and yet clearly at the end of his rope. And so he's willing to believe what Sam is telling him about Al, whereas most other people, and I think Al, I think Sam senses that, which is why he's just sort of like, I'm just going to tell him. I'm just going to tell him that this is what we're this is what we're banking on because maybe he'll believe it because it's all I've got to believe in right now, and 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 so I I like that aspect of it and I like the you know the the course that that gets them ultimately to that cockfight mm-hmm. and then you know this it's interesting because you, you, you talked about Sam not having agency and yet at the end of the episode I feel like he displays more agency than any other character throughout the end of the episode by actually instigating the getaway and, and, and in fighting off, you know, jazz for as long as he can until he tells him like, all right, now we're going to make our move, you know, and he grabs like that little water snake. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> water water yeah. 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 Um, um, that's a good point. And I feel like, yes, it, it's like his only thing, like he can just, all he can do is guide Jasper along through the things. Right. But yeah, cause I was saying like what better person could have Sam leaped into in the vicinity where he could have actually done something. Right. He could have leaped into the captain. He could have leaped into the boss. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Uh, it would have been interesting because I do feel like there are times when, you know, that, okay, actually, it's a really good point because as Chance, Sam does not have to really do any, like as we've already talked about, he doesn't really have to do anything to pretend to be Chance. Yeah. He can just be Sam, basically. Sure. Whereas if he had leapt into the captain or Boss Cooley or one of the other cops or something like that, like he would have had to play a part. And he would have probably had to do some morally and ethically questionable things in order to be convincing to his superiors or to whoever you know he surrounded himself with, which would have been very interesting. I don't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. It would have changed the, the, the nature of the episode for sure. But it also, I felt like, I think ultimately would have been an easy way out. So while it would have posed some interesting questions character-wise and, and some moral dilemmas for Sam throughout the course of the episode, by the end of it, it would have felt like a hollow victory because it's like, well, he could have let him go at any time. Fair point. It would have been interesting to have Sam leap into a boss. Yes, I agree. That would have been, especially like uh, the man with no eyes, you know, taking off of of Cool Hand Luke. That would have been an interesting take. But but yeah, anyway. Um, So yeah, so we get to the the end of the episode and then they they escape during the fight and they get tracked down and then uh, Boss Cooley, basically Al kills Boss Cooley. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> there's really, there's no other way. Al kills Boss Cooley. He distracts the dogs, and the dogs, the dead, the dead, the dead, the dead, boom. And it's funny because I, as I was rewatching the episode, I completely forgot that Boss Cooley died. Mm-hmm. Like I was just sort of like, I, and the thing is, they kind of make light of they it. They do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> doesn't like Jasper say something like like uh, Al like you know announces like he's dead, and Jasper has some line like better him than us. And then we just head off to the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because this is one of those elements of the episode that I feel like you could play the the, the 24 game where it's like, how does Jack Bauer get 
you know, from point A to point B in that amount of time or that sort of thing. Uh, because, again, we don't really know where we are location-wise. Um, I think Matt even posits in his book, or maybe it's it's in early production notes or something like that, where they mention Arkansas as well as being a possibility. Um, so who knows where the hell they are. But anyway, uh, they, they, they travel all night long. It's the morning. The sun is rising. We get this beautiful scene you know, where they're on the road and, and, uh, and they, they go their separate ways. Uh, and, and jazz, you know, thanks Al, which is a really sweet moment. And Al and Sam, you know, have a really nice moment there together as well, kind of celebrating, you know, jazz's freedom. Um, and the, you know, the cool thing is, is that they, they do the wrap up, you know, that, that, that we get at the end of some episodes, which I really love, I think is an essential part of Quantum Leap, and I miss when it's not there for the most part. Um, and the wrap-up is, is, is really nice because it feels honest and genuine in a way that Al's like, well, we can't be sure, but a guy, you know, fitting his description shows up, blah, 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 around here. And, and it's, I don't know, it was really, I just, I really liked that. Um, and, and I feel like for all the hell that we went through over the course of the episode, which we definitely did, it's a very satisfying um, optimistic conclusion. It is. It's almost, uh, it's almost too optimistic in that we kind of get this contradictory thing that Al says of like, he disappears into the fabric of society. <laughs> but four years later, someone spotting his description, it's like, it's having it both ways, which I get it. It's, it's an episode of, of, you know, a, a feel good TV in the early nineties. Sure. We want to make sure that we, we, you know, we know it, there would have been something cool about just like, eh, he just kind of disappears into the fabric of society. We did, we, we don't know. He could, right. he could live to, to, you know, to work in the forestry service or he could die five minutes after going over the hill. We don't know. Right. Uh, but it, it is a very sweet moment at the end of, of running back and, and saying, you know, tell Al goodbye for me and he can hear you. And Yes. Yeah, um, no, I, yeah, I, I get that, but I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed it, I really did, and, and I enjoy, and I enjoy that ending, um, I, I agree with Matt's assessment in his book, um, you know, Basil Wallace's performance is, is definitely a standout, but I would argue that they all are, I mean, I think J.C. Quinn is great as Boss Cooley, I think that, you know, he takes that role and, and, and you know, chews some scenery with it, um, and I, I just think overall um, that it's, it's, it's a well-done episode. Um, I would certainly say that I'm not going to put it on any, like, top ten lists more than likely. I mean, it... It may make a top ten of season four. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But um, but it's certainly not going to be like a top ten, you know, all time episode or anything like that. It's not going to be on the, you know, the the marathon that I plan to watch. It's probably not going to be on a, a essential list that I give people that you have to watch this episode of Quantum Leap. But I think that it's it's a very good episode. Well, okay, it's a good sure. episode, almost very good. But it's a good episode. I enjoyed. It. Yeah. Now I'm gonna say this here. My I the acting is fine. Everything is great. Um, Sam being in a prison, that is starting to become a trope. And to me, that's another thing. It's like, after you have Sam on death row, sure, it's hard to top anything else with him in prison. Well, and I think that I would argue that the, the, my argument today would be that it, because it's not Sam that we're supposed to be worried about through the course of this episode necessarily, mm-hmm. that it's jazz, that that... Because I, I, I get where you're coming from, but for me, it's it's not about Sam. I got it. I, I guess... This episode's not a... You know, I don't know. To jump back to where I'm coming from is, like, to, to, to me, part of my thing of, of why is Sam... Why is Sam here? Why did Sam leap into Chance and not somebody else? And later on in the series, the idea is going to be thrown out that all of Sam's leaping is a sabbatical before his real mission. So if Sam leaped into chance to learn some lesson, to learn something, maybe it's about, I don't know, being incarcerated or something of that line. And from that point of view, it's hard to top being on death row. Well, yeah, I mean, I would I guess also argue that it's, that, that, that it's all, that perseverance is a big part of this one, too. Um, that, not that there aren't other episodes where he has to persevere in order to get to you know accomplishing his mission, but I think that what he goes through over the course of this of this leap um, 
ups the stakes a bit. Sure. Uh, even to the point where there's kind of almost the threat uh, of having to wait eight months. You know, Ziggy throws that out there at one point, and it's like, well, in eight months, you know, you could maybe get this done. And it's like, eight months? Mm-hmm. We don't have eight months. Now, and, I will say, that would have been a twist. Right. Right. If it next comes eight months, and then we just got like a little montage, and then we come to eight months later, yeah, that that would have been interesting. We've got a bearded Sam <laughs> waiting for his chance to like break out. No, I that would honestly that is something that I would have absolutely loved to have seen a couple of times throughout the course of Quantum Leap, or leaps that lasted you know, more than a couple of days, uh, or, or whatnot. I mean, we get, I think we get a couple that last maybe like a week or two. Um, but, uh, even then they're sketchy on that. And most of the rest of the action from like the time leap in to, to mission accomplished happens is usually like, you know, two or three days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, yeah, having a leap that would have lasted, you know, six months or a year, man, that would have been, that, that would have been, been awesome. Yeah. Um, it's something that, you know, I, I bring up every once in a while, I bring up Doctor Who, and I think it's one of the things that Doctor Who um, has toyed with uh, more and more um, in the new series. Uh, and it's something that they did a lot in the novels in the 90s, um, where, you know, the Doctor and his companions would be in a location for an extended period of time. And uh, I, I thought that that was always a really cool thing to play with. Um, but yeah, I, I think. Um, for me, the strength of the episode as far as the lesson for Sam definitely has to do with that element of perseverance and um, also believing in someone else. You know, he doesn't... I think, obviously, he's got the benefit of Al telling him that that Ziggy says it's 98% that Jazz didn't do this. Sure. Um, but the way that he cares for... Um, jazz and the way that he, you know, he stands with jazz in spite of everything that gets thrown up against them, and he tries to protect him. And he tries to—I don't know that the it's natural for Sam at this point. I feel like, but I still think that um, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's something I wish that maybe we had focused on a little bit earlier in the podcast, with you know, but at risk of spoilers and whatnot, we just didn't want to do it. But um, to think about what has Sam been learning over the course of these leaps, sure. you know, what you know, what what has brought him, you know, thus far. Um, now I'm going to say yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no I'm going to say, say that no you're saying like um, um, about about him being nurturing and believing Jasper this is a note that I took early in the episode that I forgot there's a line early on where like they're still on the run and Jasper makes some comment about um, um, he's not to be he's not meant to be cooped up he's meant to be free and um, yeah. you know he's not meant to be cooped up and Sam has the line that's what happens when you break the law. Yeah. And he yep. just assumes that Jasper is guilty. Right. Or even, like in an earlier conversation, when, when his first conversation with Al, he throws out the idea that Chance may be innocent of whatever he, he's in prison for, but mm-hmm. he automatically makes the assumption that Jasper must be guilty. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I wrote that. I was like, judge, we got a judgy Sam. Like that, because I feel like in another episode, like Sam would have taken the thing as like, no, if if I am here in this moment, this must mean Jasper is innocent. Because yeah. why else would I be here? Right. Anyway, so that my issues are with the plotting of the episode. Like acting is nice. My issues with the plotting, but that being said, it occurred to me like, uh, what's the name of the writer of this episode? You got the you got the book. Harris Qualls. Yeah. Uh, other than Deborah Pratt. How many people of color have we had as writers on episodes of the show? Um, I believe we've had at least one other. I know we've had a couple of directors. Um, mm-hmm. But I believe we had one other female person of color who had written an episode, but now it's not, it's not coming to mind Okay, um, which one it was. Oh, I think it was Dreams, actually, Anita Addison. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um. So even even more recent, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Over the course, I mean, we're talking about a show that ran for almost a hundred episodes, and and, and 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 as far as comes to mind, right off, we've had three um, people of color have written for the episode, written for, for Quantum Leap. So, yeah. So yeah, for what for what that is worth. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think I didn't really think about it until uh, I just thought about it just now. We have maybe one of the most appropriate. 
reprieves that Sam gets sleeping from one situation to another. Oh my god. At least at fir- <laughs> at least at first glance. Oh, F. F, F, F. Yeah. Uh, so he leaps into, into red satin sheets. And this is one of the rare moments where we get Sam monologuing during the mm-hmm. teaser for the next episode. Uh, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, he's left in some precarious situations. Um, this is one of those times like, uh, and this was thrown out in another quantum leap group on Facebook the other day. Like, does Sam remember where he just came from, from each one? Uh, and right. I, I really wish like this is one time I, I, you know, the way they air episodes out of order where that they had a plan or whatnot, like I really wish they would have nailed it more. Like in this particular time, if they would have said Sam knows exactly where he just came from, he just mm-hmm. came from a prison chain gang and now he lands in a nice cushy bed. I wish they would have driven that point home. Right. Um, but then, but yeah, he is not. He is not alone in bed. No, he's not. No, he's not. And we're gonna uh, talk all about it in the plays, the thing, um, which will be fun for you and I to talk about. I feel uh, like, yes, with, with the theaters. Yeah, I yes. Hey, here's something to uh, to to titillate or not our audience with until next week. Dennis, mm-hmm. have you ever appeared nude on stage? I have. Have you? I have. We will. T- we will. We will, <laughs> we will tell those stories. We will not tell. We will not share pictures. Uh, no. Although, no uh, and I will share this story next week. There may be video out there of me having appeared nude on stage, which I did not know about until after the fact. Well, but I, I may have. I, I may have. I may have actually appeared nude in a short film. So uh, it's out there. It's actually it was a. I was a television pilot that I did. So I got you. Uh, um, like I said, we can tell these stories next week. I will throw out there that uh, even though more people will probably ultimately see the short film, it is a very different thing appearing yes. nude on stage yes. in front of live people. Yes, than it is. In a short film or, or, or yes, any kind of film, yes. but we will share those stories next week, and, 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 and do a little give Daniel Roebuck a little love. That's Daniel right. Roebuck <laughs> is the son. He's uh, I love uh, he, he's one of my favorite character actors. He, he's in the Andy Griffith show, Andy, Lost, yeah, uh, The Fugitive. Um, yeah, he was in both oh, both right. that one, the sequel, U.S. Marshals. And did you watch Lost? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was arts. Yeah, I, said, I just said Lost. Oh yeah, yeah, right. arts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I'll never forget that on the uh, on Matlock. I said Andy Griffith show. I meant Matlock. I'm sorry. Uh, on Matlock, he plays a younger lawyer uh, in like the last couple of seasons. But there are also a couple of episodes that take place in like the 50s and 60s when Matlock was first starting out as a lawyer, mm-hmm. and he plays a young Ben Matlock in those episodes. Oh my! Which God. I always thought was just fantastic. I. I did not know that, but I can yeah. totally see that. Yeah. So tune in next yeah, week works. for our Matlock podcast. No, no. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. If there's a way to get the septuagenarian crowd into listening to podcasts, <laughs> that's it. Uh, <laughs> that would be the one. <laughs> uh, All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening and joining us here uh, at Fate's Wide Wheel. Uh, we've enjoyed talking about Unchained, and we'll do the plays the thing next week. Uh, we'll also continue um, asking some questions, interacting, and getting your feedback and comments about uh, Quantum Leap and uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary um, with uh, with that fan interaction. We've been enjoying it, you know, in, in lacking any kind of official convention or official page or official anything uh, with the 30th anniversary. We just want to do our part to make sure that we're talking about it, aware of it, and celebrating the fact that uh, the show that we know and love uh, has been... 30 years years. since it premiered. So, Um, so yeah, Dennis, you ready to leap out of here? Leap out of here. Have a good week, everybody. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at www.quantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.